Welcome to the Riverwood Chapel podcast. We're so excited you're here. Please check out our other content and video uploads at riverwoodchapel.org. Thank you. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you, and uh, I'm glad that you are here, and we're uh, going to examine God's Word together. Now, our family had an opportunity to get away for uh, a little bit, and uh, when I talk about getting away, we all love getting to the beach. You know, there's something therapeutic about sand and ocean air and watching out the horizon of water and sky. Anybody else with me on that? Okay. All right. Good, good. All right. The very first hour, Ben was like, no, the beach is not the right place. I was like, who, who, what's his problem? Anyway. So, so anyway, on our time away, uh, in the evening, there was a moment where, um, you know, that time in the evening is nice at the beach. The sun is kind of down a little bit, and uh, people are walking on the beach, having a good time. There's people in the water, uh, warm water. People are just out there in the waves, having a good time. And, uh, and so my youngest son, um, he enjoys uh, fishing. So there we are, just the two of us. And I'm the kind of one who kind of gets the pole ready, gets, you know, the bait on the hook. He casts it out. So he's the one fishing. I'm kind of getting it ready. And so there we are. Picture it. People on the beach, people in the water. Here we are fishing. And the next thing you know, this is what he pulls out of the water. We have a little, uh, little bit of footage here about Amazing. this. And uh, here it is. Here it goes. And next thing you know, there it is. That is a shark, by the way. So, um, and that's how big it was. It was, it was filled the beach. Yeah. But what is interesting is uh, how there are people in the water who are now like, oh, there's a shark in the water. You know, there's people walking along the sides of the beach. And, and so it is this, this metaphor that we're going to use this morning because I am convinced that in life, all of us are the ones who are kind of hanging out in the water and there is something that is lurking below the surface. See, we're there having a good time. Uh, throwing the ball, throwing the frisbee in the water, having, having a great time. But there is something that is below the surface that wants to get us. There is something lurking in the water, and it has the ability. This is how serious this conversation is going to be, because spiritually now, this thing that is in the water has the ability to separate us from God. That's how serious this conversation is going to be this morning. And really, the one who's going to teach us this is going to be a prophet named Obadiah. So if you have your Bible, uh, we're going through the minor prophets this summer. We're going to spend some time this morning in Obadiah. And you heard from the video, just 21 verses. That's all it is. What could possibly be here in this book for us? Well, let's open up, and Obadiah wants to speak to you today. So listen to how it begins. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. 
All right, so the video you watched from the Bible Project, uh, I love how they put it all together. And you can tell that there is something uh, for the nation of Edom. And who is the nation of Edom? We learn from the video, its origins go all the way back to Genesis. You know, the story where things were messy between these two brothers. Who's going to get the birthright? There's trickery involved. And the next thing you know, Jacob gets it. Esau is like, what just happened here? And from that moment, you now have two nations who are spawned. You have Jacob, who is the nation of Israel, and you have Esau, the nation of Edom. And so there, as you read Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, there is tension. Long after those two brothers are gone, there's still tension between. Why? It goes all the way back to that deceptive kind of origin. And so even as you read into the book of Numbers, there's a story there where the Israelites want to get kind of through Edom and can we pass through here? And the king of Edom says, no way. You are not, we hate you. You are not coming through here. Find a different path. And so as you read through the Old Testament, there is this tension. Now, fast forward to the time of the prophets. There's that tension that still exists. I mean, it, it's still there. You get down to the timeline of, you know, 722 B.C., there's still this tension that is lingering. The nation of Israel is now split. We have, you have the nation of Israel and then Judah. And now all of a sudden you have this third nation being spoken of. That's why Obadiah is very unique. He's speaking to Edom at the very beginning. And geographically, this is to the south of these two. And the bookmark tells you kind of where it falls right there. Uh, It's kind of hard to place. Like, where do you put that? Probably near the end of the existence of the southern kingdom. All right, so what does Obadiah have to say? Let's keep reading. Verse 2, interesting. He says, Behold, I will make you small, speaking to Edom, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though we soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. Now, to gain a better understanding of what life was like in Edom, sometimes pictures are worth a thousand words. And maybe this picture might help you of what we just read. This is what it's like. That's what it looks like in the land of Edom. Archaeologists have gone, unearthed all of these things. And in the southern parts there, uh, they have these deep valleys, but also these rock clefts and even unearthing a place where people might have been living. That's not so bad, right? Who'd like to live in a rock house like that? Yeah, sign me up. Um, And so basically, you live in these rock clefts. 
you have these deep valleys, and there's a real advantage when it has when it comes to enemies, right? You have the upper part, you can look down, and that was really what was going on. That's kind of the setting. But the real problem is not that they lived in these rock houses. The real problem is in verse 3. That's what Obadiah is addressing. He's not talking about the house being the problem. He's talking about verse 3 when he says, The pride of your heart has deceived you. You see, that's the real problem. The pride of your heart has deceived you. And this is what he's addressing. The thing that is lurking out in the waters of life, that's really the problem. And the real problem is pride. It has a name. It is pride. And pride, he talks about it. Obadiah says the hearts of the people were saying things like this. This is what it sounds like. Do you see where we live? There's nothing that could bring us down. I mean, did you see our houses? We live up where the eagles soar. Our houses are so high, it's like we're at where the stars are. There's nothing that can bring us down. Nothing. We are invincible. You see, that was really what Obadiah is addressing. The pride issue. Not the house. The pride that went with it. And so the problem is in, you know, what they, their heart was dealing with. You see, some might read these words and say, well, they were just confident, sure of themselves, healthy self-esteem kind of people. Is that what we're reading? No, 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 no. This is, this is a heart issue. There's something that goes into the heart that convinces it that it is great. And not just great, but I got to where I am on my own strength. I have everything that I need. What else could I need in this life? And the message of pride really could be summed up by this right here. This is kind of the summary. I really don't need God, and I am invincible. I'm invincible. I'm untouchable. Check out where I live. And by the way, I don't need any help. I'm self-made, and I don't need God. That's, a, that's what pride, it leads down this path. But here's the most dangerous part of pride. Obadiah says it right here in verse 3. Verse 3 is so important because the real danger is in the deception. The deception. You see, pride isn't out there on the forefront. Look at me. No, pride is below the water, swimming around. When everything looks great, everyone's having a great time, throwing the frisbee in the water. You see, it's below the surface. And it remains there. And it's about to pounce. It's about to swallow you. It is, that's the most difficult piece of pride, is that it is so deceptive and sneaky. Now, to give you a, a picture of the origins of how sneaky and unassuming pride is, 
we have to go back to Genesis. So for a moment, we're going to leave Obadiah and where its pride, where are its origins, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Now, with kind of a lens of seeing how pride is sneaky and unassuming, listen to these verses of its origins. Genesis chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty, crafty, than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of the, any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, well, I, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said um, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And right there, the origins of, of pride are right there in the garden. Satan is whispering to the hearts of Adam and Eve the things of pride. Isn't God so clueless and out of touch? He's jealous of you. He, he wants you to... He doesn't want you to be self-made. He wants you to be kind of put down and be subject to him. But you have the opportunity. Let me just tell you, you have the opportunity right here to be invincible. You want that, don't you? And in that moment, the shark is lurking and swimming and consuming Adam and Eve. And from that moment, from that moment, we then have pride from generation to generation moving on, convincing humanity that we are self-made, we're invincible, we don't need God. And from that moment, it replays itself from generation to generation. And it's very subtle, it's very unassuming, it's tricky. And in many contexts, even past Obadiah, as we fast forward for just a moment into the 21st century, pride is even welcomed, championed. I mean, no one's going to a 12-step a recovery program because of pride. Oh, I'm here because I'm prideful. What? No, no, no one does that. Because it's almost accepted and welcomed and okay. And that is the danger. That's what Obadiah is warning us about, the real danger. And see, in our own 21st century context, we too, like the Edomites, have our own things that our heart says. See, their hearts were saying, well, look where I live. In the 21st century, our heart says similar things like, look at my education. Look at my house. Look at my bank account. Look at my 401k. Look at my car. Look, look. All of these things of pride. 
All of these things speak to our heart. The lurking shark is there speaking to us. And all the time it's saying things like, do you really need God? You're invincible. Look at your house. Look at who you are. Look at your family. Look at your connections. And the list goes on and on. You're invincible. And so pride at the level of heart, remember this is a conversation about the heart, it deceives. And so along the way I'm going to be asking some questions, and these are questions that really maybe need some deeper pondering and some moments to maybe be quiet and think about. But here's the first question I, I want to ask every single person. Are you invincible? Are you invincible? Because I think many times we have convinced ourselves we are. Well, let me just pull the curtain back here a moment and share with you. Because I think at times, Obadiah speaks to you, to all those who are listening, but he also speaks to pastors. And sometimes the most prideful people are pastors. And it happens at numerous levels. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, many times it happens even at a corporate level. There's real pride. And look at the building. Look at all the people who are coming. And look at our bottom line. Look at that budget. Isn't it wonderful? And there's pride that builds into the fabric of even church. And it's dangerous. Because in those moments of pride, we... We are subtly whispering, we're invincible. There's nothing that can take us down. Look how wonderful it is. And there's a real danger that exists in pride, even in church. But, but not only corporately, but also individually. Now I'm going to get real personal. I'm going back to a moment where I was... As you know, Josh, Pastor Josh, went through ordination. Um, I, too, went through that process 20-some years ago. And the hardest question I faced in that two hours came from a man named Newt Larson. You might know the name, senior pastor of the chapel at the time. And so there I am, sitting in a room full of pastors, and this is the question he posed to me. He said, Cole, he said, I want you to tell us, what would it be, that issue, that sin, that, you, that would bring down your future ministry? What is it that is going to disqualify you from being called pastor? Now, let me pause right there, because in that moment, I'm thinking two things. Shouldn't we be talking about happy things? Like... Why are we talking about this right now? <laughs> the second thing I was thinking was, I know the answer right away, but am I going to say it? Right away, I knew the answer. I knew the things that were close and difficult, and would I say it? And in that moment, I said, for me, what is very close is sexual sin. That would be the thing that will disqualify me. 
The temptations are all around, and that would be it. Now, in that moment, now reflecting back, what New Larson was doing was really an Obadiah moment. He wanted, he wanted to hear from my mouth, do you think you're going to live in the loftiness of being a pastor? Are you untouchable? Are you invincible? But what is it going to be that will attack you? Don't be so prideful to think that nothing is ever going to touch you. I've never forgotten that moment. Doing lots of ministry over the years and people even ask me, like, what is this bracelet you even wear? And if you get close enough, you can see it. It says Ephesians 5.3 that talks about not even having a hint of sexual immorality in your life. I need that kind of reminder. Enough about me. Let's talk about you. You see, the question is, are you invincible? But the real next kind of question, I think, is very poignant. Where is the pride of your heart? See, that's what Obadiah is asking, the pride of your heart. Where has the pride of your heart deceived you? What is lurking in the water that you don't see? Where is the blind spot? Where have you thought, I am invincible because of... We all have them. We all are tempted to be deceived at the level of heart. What is it for you? Now, before we talk about how we can deal with pride, um, there's more bad news. Um, Obadiah wants to continue this conversation into verse 10. Listen to these words. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads uh, to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. All right, what's going on in these verses? Well, the historical story is that the southern kingdom of Judah in 586 ended. Well, what happened? Well, the people were then taken into captivity all the way back to Babylon. And as they're making the trek to Babylon, guess who was there to kick them while they were down? The good old Edomites. They were right there to take advantage of this moment. Oh, we can loot them. Well, they're not home anymore. We can take all their stuff. And we know that they were even killed by the Edomites. And so it is this continuation of pride. Remember, this conversation started at the level of heart. It's now moving to action. 
energy, time, resources, all being used to keep them invincible, even if it means kicking them while they're down. That means I'm still number one. See how insidious pride is? It worked its way into the heart and then into the actions of human beings. It's interesting. All of these things point to pride and its origins. Now, let's go from Obadiah for a moment to Jesus Christ. Now, did he talk about pride? Now, with the lens of Obadiah, now that we see kind of this conversation of heart and action, notice how Jesus speaks of pride. He's going to do it with um, a parable. But notice his words. They're very Obadiah-ish. Listen to this. The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all of my grain and my goods. Verse 19. And I will say to my soul, this is a conversation of the heart. Oh, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Notice what Jesus says. He's talking about prideful actions of bigger barns. But you see where this conversation started? In the heart. Oh, I'll speak to my heart that's being wooed by pride and this invincibility. And now I'm building bigger barns, more insulation, more protection, more, well, more distance from God. <laughs> I don't need him because I have bigger barns. And so here's a question. This is a good question. Do we spend our time and energy and resources to keep our invincibility intact? Are, are we spending our time building bigger barns? Are we spending our energy and our resources just to keep ourselves number one? Or are we doing something else with those resources? That's a very personal question. All right, so why is this conversation so important? I think you're catching why it is. Because it is a deceptive one. And many times we read Obadiah, and you might have a conversation like this, and you're like, oh, he's speaking. That pastor, he's speaking to the person next to me. But the reality is I'm speaking to you and you and you. I'm speaking to myself. This is something for all of us because all of our hearts are out there in the ocean having a good time and there is something that is lurking. And see, in Obadiah, he's very clear. In, verse 20, in these 21 verses, it is so clear that Edom, what is the outcome? Edom will fall from their lofty perch. 
Those who have hearts that say, I'm invincible, look where I live, I'll never be brought down, will be brought down. It's not like there's a 50-50 chance of that happening. You will be brought down. You will be humbled. The proud will be humbled. And to make that stance even stronger in the book of Obadiah, we get to verse 15, and he says it this way. The day of the Lord is coming, uh, not just for Edom, the day of the Lord is coming to all nations. All nations, all people will have to take an account of this conversation of pride. And so that is why this conversation is so important. Because we can, it is possible to spend our entire lives being deceived and chasing the things of this world and thinking to ourselves, we're invincible. It might sprinkle in some God here and there, but basically I'm invincible. And Obadiah says, wrong. Do you realize that if you were to be one of God's children, and now into the trajectory of the New Testament, if you call yourself a Christ follower, it is all about humility. I mean, the story of Christ is the one who didn't come and reign with an iron fist. He came to Bethlehem. It's the story of, of humility embodied through God's Son, And so, as you heard from the book of James, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. That is the gospel story, a story of grace and mercy and love that is not about being proud, but it's about coming to God and saying, I'm in need. I'm broken. I'm sinful. I need help. And I see that nothing I have and nothing that this world offers will get me to what I truly need at the level of heart. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And when it comes to all of our stuff, it's see, God's not talking about the the houses and the rocks. He's fine with those. You see, it's, it's the attitude and it's the heart that says, I did that. Do we realize that every good gift comes from him? Time, resources, money. Do we recognize that he open-handedly can put things into our hands and just as easily take them away? See, that's what the humble are about. See, my prayer for all those who are here and those who are watching is that we would submit our lives to God. And maybe you're here, you're listening, and you have been living about bigger barns and houses in the rocks and insulating yourself and protecting, and it's been all about you and you and you. Maybe today's that day where he is saying, listen to the words of Obadiah. Come and submit yourself to him. Stop chasing down your own invincibility and trust in the invincibility of Jesus Christ. He is the one who is invincible. 
And if you need more about that story, it's right in front of you in the, in the seat back. Those little booklets called The Story explain the story of Jesus Christ as the one who is invincible. Now, before we go, another great question that Obadiah is asking all of us is this. It's the opposite side of pride. It's really the, the opposite side is humility. How do we develop a heart of humility? See, this is a conversation for the heart. And so how do we have a heart for humility? We don't want hearts that are prone to pride, but to humility. How do we do that? Well, first, we're going to need something that can speak to our hearts, something that can feed our hearts, speak to us at the level of heart. And the answer is this, God's word. You see, God's word speaks that kind of language. If we never look at God's word, or if it's something that's distant, we'll always be prone to hearing the voice of pride and invincibility and I don't need God. It is this voice that teaches us the humble story of our desperate need for God. I'm going to point a a verse out to you. You've heard it a hundred times. But now I want you to see it through the lens of Obadiah. Notice what it says in Hebrews chapter 4. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This book speaks to this. Much like the lurking shark of pride speaks to our heart and deceives us, God's word speaks to our heart and tells us the truth. It's beautiful. All right, so we need something that can speak to our heart. God's word can. We also then need a way to, for our heart to express itself, to speak to God. That's where prayer steps in, the discipline of, of talking to God. Again, through the lens of Obadiah, listen to this familiar verse from Philippians. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Oh, when I pray... I am coming to God saying, I don't have the answers. I need your help. Please be a part. And now I am practicing humility. God's word. Prayer. But much like what we saw in Obadiah, we are also needing actions. Notice this familiar verse out of a little bit later in Philippians Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Ah, when I'm reading God's word, when I'm speaking to him, he is going to be shepherding me to not be about me, me, me but it's going to help shepherd my actions to be about others. 
look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Humility being lived out. See, these are the tools that can help us in this journey of Christ-like humility. As I was studying, I was, the song came to me, Come Thou Fount. And it's really an Obadiah kind of song, especially when you get down to this line. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. I'm prone to be drawn. My heart is drawn to pride and invincibility. But then the next line, here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it, protect it, guard it. I want something different. I know you do as well. May that be the prayer for all of us as we are a church that opposes pride and welcomes the things of humility. Let me pray for us. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word that reminds us of truth. Apart from your word, we we just keep wandering around and chasing after the invincibility of this world. Houses in the clefts of the rock, who can take us down? Bigger barns, all of those things are leading us in paths of true destruction. I pray that you have spoken something through your prophet Obadiah to those who are here and those who are listening. May we hear the words and the gospel, the freedom and humility in submitting our lives to you in everything. And even as we sing and as we reflect, allow us to ask some poignant questions at the level of heart in this moment, please. We pray this in the power of your son's name.